try to become a more well-rounded hotelier. It's important that you learn the craft and the skills from a technical perspective, but understand that your greatest asset is always going to be your people. It's always going to be your team. And if you can get your team right, you will be successful. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I am very excited to have my friend Patrick Fernandez, Executive Managing Director for Carillon Miami Wellness Resort and CEO of Alchemy Wellness Resorts. Patrick, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Steve. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, Patrick, we jump into every podcast the same exact way. What was your first job in hospitality? Well, before I answer that question, Steve, I will tell you about a job that I had that motivated me and inspired me to get into hospitality. I was working at a grocery store. This was in Skokie, Illinois, and I was tasked with putting the milk on the shelves. And every day I would wait for the milk to arrive in the store. And when it arrived, I would count how much milk we received, put it on the shelves and be done with my day. Sounds like a pretty simple task. But every now and then, I would have an accident because I was clumsy when I was starting off. And as I was waiting for the milk one day, I noticed on the back end of the store that I worked at in Skokie, there was a Hilton property. And it was a time for a shift change. And the staff came in and out of the hotel, and they were so sharply dressed in suits and in ties. And I said, I want to be like that. One day, I will wear a suit and tie and go to work. So as I was putting the milk up on the shelves one day, I spilled, yet again, a gallon of milk on my apron. And of course, I was in a walk-in freezer. It was cold. It was very uncomfortable. And I said, all right, this is the day I'm going to do it. I'm going to put up the apron. I'm going to go to the Hilton. And I'm going to apply for a job. And I did that at the advice of my dad, who had been pushing me for many years to do that. He pushed me to go into the Hilton. I went, applied for a job, and they hired me to work at the front desk. And that's where my love story with hospitality began. That's an amazing story. And just to see the difference of having milk 
on you in a freezer to then standing at the front desk of a Hilton is uh, an amazing transition and definitely a step up, at least in my eyes. I'm sure maybe there's someone who loves stocking milk in the freezer somewhere, but I don't think that's you or I. Uh, and you mentioned your father. Was your family in hospitality before or is this you were the first one? How does that background work? So my father was not in hospitality, but every one of his brothers at some point in their careers was in hospitality. I had an uncle who at that time, when I started out, was a general manager at a Holiday Inn in Chicago. I had another uncle who was a director of food and beverage at another property in Chicago. I had several other uncles, either in the rooms division or in the F&B division, all working in hospitality. So for me, it seemed like a natural calling. And when my dad told me, you should go and apply at a hotel, of course, I couldn't say no. First mm -hmm. of all, it was my dad. I had a tremendous amount of respect. And I followed his advice. I love it. And one thing I wanted the audience to, to hear from you, because they might hear your name, Patrick Fernandez. You know, They know I'm from Miami. But uh, you didn't grow up in a Latin American country. Can you give a little background of how you grew up and where? Sure, of course. So my family name is actually spelt with an S at the end, F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-S. And the origins of that name are from Portugal. My ancestors moved from Portugal to Goa, India. And that's where my family comes from. So for several years, uh, before I was born, I can trace my family history and ancestry in Goa, India. And I grew up for a few years in Pakistan, a few years in Dubai. And I moved to the United States just before I turned 18, traveling with my parents. And my first job was at the grocery store, my second job in hospitality. And it has never been a job because I've loved every single day of it. So let's transition to there. So I love the background. And now you're standing at this Hilton. You're at the front desk. What was it like for you when you first start in that role? Was it something you knew from the moment that you started that you loved it and I'm going to be a general manager? Or was it like, all right, I'm going to do this for a while and, and see what else I can do after? Well, you could imagine my sense of pride from going from an apron to a suit and a tie. I was proud of it. Every day I went into work, I'm like, I'm going to give this my best. And I had tremendous inspiration for my family. Of course, my dad kept pushing me and he reminded me about my uncle. My uncle is a general manager at that time and I'm aspiring to be like my uncle. And I knew I wanted to be a GM and the competitive part of me wanted to outshine my uncle and also be a GM. So I think from the very start, I knew this is the path I wanted to take. I love it. So you're on this path, you decided I'm going to do this. What is your journey like? Right, You're at the Hilton front desk. How long are you at that position? How do you start moving up? Because I'm going to jump into where you first started working at a GM level, but I want to kind of start tracing this story. Of course. So this was back in the 90s, if I can date myself a little bit. Yeah, listeners, he looks young. You look at Patrick, he looks young and well-rested. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I, I believe it. So you start in the 90s. And I was at the front desk as a front desk agent. And my front office manager came to me and said, Patrick, we think you're, really, you're doing a really good job. And we'd like you to apply for a position of a supervisor. This was 10 months after I started in the hospitality. 
And I thought to myself when my front office manager said that, I said, wow, I must be doing this well because my manager is seeing it. So I applied for that supervisor role and I was a supervisor within 10 months of starting in hospitality. From there, I transitioned to becoming the assistant front office manager. And that journey took another 10 months. I stayed in the role of a assistant front office manager for about a year. And I said, if I've taken steps before this, I want to take the next step on my own and not be in the shadow of my front office manager who had been a, a great mentor to me. So I decided to go to a hotel opening and staying in the Hilton family, I went to a Hilton Garden Inn in Evanston, Illinois, and opened that hotel as the director of front office. Wow. And so what was that like opening something for the first time? Because it's very different for people who've never done it. They might say, oh, it's a Hilton Garden Inn, but opening anything is a big challenge. What was that like for you? Well, fortunately for me, I was too new in hospitality to know what challenges an opening would bring. But it was such an incredible experience the camaraderie and the teamwork and the friendships and the relationships that you build when you are opening a hotel is like no other. It just brings you so much closer naturally because you're working towards that common goal. And I enjoyed every minute of it. And so you get this place open. You're the director of front office, first time as a director. Was there a big jump for you? Because a lot of people have been supervisors and managers, but then they make that jump to a director level and things become a little bit more about delegating and holding people accountable. Was that what you saw? Or were you still like me when I was a first time director? I was still a rookie a little bit and I was trying to do everything myself. What was your point of view on that? Well, believe it or not, Steve, I was learning to delegate at that time. And it was something new to me. I can't say I was good at it, mm -hmm. but it was a journey of learning. And as I was growing in my role and in my career, every single day was about learning. Delegation was just one of them. Learning a new hotel and a new brand was another one. Learning how to be the one that manages the team was also another one. So a tremendous learning curve, to say the least. So you get it open. How long do you continue on in this property? I stayed in that role as the director of front office for about a year and a half and decided that I couldn't take the cold weather of Chicago anymore. That's rough. Is it true? I've, I've only been there in the summertime, but I've seen some winter pictures of some of my friends like all the doors are freezing. It's negative 30 degrees. Was that something anyone can get used to or is that just, hey, that's life in Chicago? You know, I guess people can get used to it, but I just wasn't one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> and I decided that I wanted to move someplace warmer. All right. But, so what, what hits your radar? Where do you end up going? Well, I was speaking with my then girlfriend at that time who was in Florida. And I said, I think I'm going to move down to be closer to you. And of course, was motivated and incentivized by that. Mm-hmm made a move to Florida and joined Intercontinental Hotels Group and took an assistant general manager role at a Staybridge Suites in Plantation. So you're in Plantation, Florida. So just north of Miami for listeners at a Staybridge Suites. So That's you're still right. kind of in the limited service world, right? Correct. And you've become pretty good at that. What is life like now that you're in Plantation? Well, the weather was warmer and I was enjoying it. <laughs> I was closer to my girlfriend and I was enjoying that too. I really felt good. I felt that I had made a quality of life decision. And not only was I 
in hospitality, enjoying what I did every minute of my day at work. But being with my girlfriend at that time, I was happy. I was mm-hmm. learning and a limited service environment, you have to wear multiple hats. Yes. You, you will start your day in housekeeping, you'll go to the front office, then you'll do something in the limited service, food and beverage offerings that are there. You will drive the shuttle, you will come back and you will clean and inspect rooms. Then you will be part of the social event in the evening and check in a guest and sometimes even do the night audit. So every single position, you had to get acclimated with that. It was a tremendous school of learning for me because in that role, I could truly say I had done every single position in the hotel. Yeah, I love that. And we've talked to so many, not so many, we've talked to a couple of GMs and now CEOs that started in limited service. And I never had the chance, but it just sounds like you learn everything. Like you're put in that position to really learn. Is that something you would recommend to people? Because you're, you're in the luxury world now. And you have been for a while, but would you recommend people to maybe check that out? You know, the common misconception is that you cannot make a jump from limited service to luxury because it is such a big distance to jump. But the learning that you will encounter in a limited service environment or in a focused service environment, you can't get that anywhere. In a full service or in a luxury environment, you will see many different layers in the organization And it's sometimes difficult to transport yourself through those layers. In a limited service and in a focused service environment, you can do that multiple times in a single day. So absolutely, limited service, if you're looking to learn, is where you will get the most amount of learning. I love it. So as you're learning your AGM implantation, loving the quality life, great girlfriend, when do you start becoming that first GM? My general manager at the Stabert Suites leaves and I decide that I want to leave too. So I take another opportunity within Intercontinental Hotels at a Holiday Inn property as a general manager. And which one is that? And that was a Holiday Inn up in the Fort Lauderdale Airport area Mm -hmm. and did that for a year before I was called back to the Staybridge to be the GM at the Staybridge that I had started my journey in Florida at. So what was it like? Because everyone has that goal and you had that goal. I'm going to become a general manager of a hotel. So that first time you sit down as a general manager at the Holiday Inn, did you feel like, wow, I made it? Or it was like, all right, this seems normal. Like I'm just another, another day. What was the feeling like to you? Yes, of course. I mean, after calling my parents and telling them that I finally made it as a general manager, Mm-hmm. called my uncle and I said, guess what? I'm a general manager at a Holiday Inn too. <laughs> and he was really supportive about it. He, was, he told me how proud I was, how proud he was rather of me. And my parents told me the same thing. And I, again, I felt really good about how my journey had taken its course to be a general manager. But there was a lot of learning still going on at that time. So what is the biggest jump? Because when people become general manager for the first time, they say, wow, I didn't realize how much I had to focus on sales or revenue management or something else. Was there something that really popped out where you're like, wow, this is a little bit more than I expected? When I was a general manager, the sales, the revenue management, the guest service experience, the food and beverage experience were all of those technical skills that I knew if I opened up a textbook, I could read about it. I could learn about it. But the biggest challenge for me was the people. 
Mm-hmm. And as a general manager, I realized that my team looked at me as a leader and relied on me to give them guidance and direction. And I was still in my 20s as a general manager, and I was way too young to be that leader. I was not giving the right guidance. I was not giving the right direction to my team. From a technical perspective, I understood it. But how to lead a team, I knew there were opportunities there. And when my team came to me and asked me for guidance, I would tell them what to do. I would say step one, step two, step three, and so on. And that, for me, did not sit very well with how I wanted to be building my legacy as a general manager. What did you envision it being like instead of that? When I was growing up in hospitality, I thought I would be sitting in my office signing checks and being a general manager. But Mm -hmm. uh, it was, of course, a lot more than that. Every single member of your team comes to you and says, I need some assistance with this. How do I do this? And what is the answer? And how can you give the answer if you don't know what the answer is? Right. So after being a general manager for less than two years, I decided I was not ready for that role. Wow. And it was a startling revelation to me as I encountered these challenges. And I felt like I was not guiding my team in a proper way to give them the right direction, resources, or guidance that they deserved. I was not the person to do that. So what do you do? I felt like I needed to learn more. I needed to learn about hospitality more because at this point I had only been at two brands with Hilton and with Intercontinental. So I came across an opportunity to be a consultant with a firm in Tampa called Mm -hmm. FNG Hospitality. And I joined that team, became a consultant in hospitality. And one of the things that I was exposed to was training. And the second thing was mystery shops. So I became a hotel inspector for most parts. It's amazing. And you do that for almost four years. So you're enjoying it and you're learning and visiting all these hotels. Was What stood out from that moment was that you could see all these different places and visit all these places and check off all these standards and learn about? Was that what it, you enjoyed about it or was it something else? It was such an eye-opener to be able to visit multiple hotels across different geographic regions, different brands, different ways of doing things. And it allowed me to see how the operation was different based on a brand, based on the leader, based Mm -hmm. on a geographic region, based on culture, and based on so many other elements that you don't normally think about. And as I was going through this journey as a consultant, it allowed me to better position my trainings and my storytelling in hospitality, which made my trainings even more effective. And then I wanted to present myself and ultimately was able to present myself as a subject matter expert because after you do a hotel inspection and you debrief the team and you sit down in front of a general manager of a luxury hotel, you can say with confidence, I've been around the world, I've seen this at other hotels, and you may want to consider 
what I'm about to tell you. That's a good way to set it up. It's a good, it's a good opening line. <laughs> so you're doing this for for those four years. You're traveling, you're learning, which I love doing. You make a change. And I'm curious about this change because for you, you really decide to make a career for the next few years in that world of training. And you end up at the amazing and beautiful Satai Hotel in Miami Beach. How does that happen? Because I'm curious, you have the training background, you've been a GM, but we said it like at the extended stay holiday in kind of brands to go to a five star, five diamond celebrity hotspot hotel. I'd, I'd love to hear how this happened. Yeah, of course. So as you can imagine, consulting involved a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to be all over the world, inspect some of the most incredible hotels, meet with some of the most incredible general managers. But I had, at that time, just started a family. My girlfriend, who I told you about at this time, was my wife. All right, so it paid off. Good job. That was a good move. (laughs) We had just welcomed our first boy, and I was missing my family. I wanted to be with my son, and I didn't want to get on a plane and go to work every day. I wanted to, like most people, take a bus, take a car, take a train, and go to work and come back home at the end of the day and be with my family. The Satai was one of my clients when I was at FNG Hospitality, and they had a role of a quality and training director. And I had told the director of finance at that time, I would be interested in becoming part of the team at the Satai. And he said, that would be a great move. It would be a natural transition Let's make this happen. And of course, I applied for the job. They were very patient with me. They said, what is your travel schedule? How can we work with that travel schedule and still bring you part of the Satai team? I think that from the time I had my first interview till the time I actually started at the Satai, it was a journey of about four months because I was, of course, with a a heavy travel schedule. I had commitments and the Satai was very patient in making way for me to come in as a director of quality and training. So I started at the Satai in October of 2010, and I felt good about the decision because I could go home, be with my son, be with my wife, and I had a great job. Yeah, and you're in a great place. And so I'm curious about this because you had been a general manager before. You were the decision maker of those hotels. When you start back in a hotel, because it's different when you're consulting, like you don't have a home base, but now you have this hotel that you are responsible for. Was it a challenge for you to adjust and start working in that role? Or was it something that was easier for you because it was just a, a good team? That's a great question because being a general manager, it could be difficult. But my experience as a general manager was incomplete. When I was a general manager at Intercontinental, I felt that there was a lot of learning that I had to do. I almost left that task incomplete because I had not finished all the learning in that role. And I went on to be a consultant and I solidified my base as a hotelier, as a consultant. And I came into the role, even though I was responsible for training at the Satai, having a lot of reflection on my role and in hospitality, and how I could grow 
and learn as the director of training and quality. So it was an open mind that allowed me to be successful as a director of training and quality because I knew one day, if I'm going to be a GM again, it would be at a luxury property. I love it. So you're in this role, and I find this role key if done the right way because a lot of people have this role in certain hotels but don't use it the right way, I would say. So for you, your hotel that you were in is a five-star, five-diamond, a perennial award winner. And you are the part of the team that is getting people to live up to that standard. How did you do that? Were you given a game plan? Did you have to create your own game plan? Was it working with the HR director to say, hey, Patrick, get this done? Or were you saying, this is my plan for, for the year? Well, I had to come up with that game plan. And what allowed me to come up with that game plan was the world experience that I had amassed for the last four years before joining the Satai and being able to tell stories through training. And it was the stories that I felt made my training stick, that made my training effective because I was able to give examples, real world examples of what happened at other hotels. What was the guest experience like? And through my training, not tell those that were in the training class what to do, but teach them how to think so that they could decide what the situation was and how they could apply what they learned in training to do the thinking for themselves and win the guest over. I love it. So you're doing this. You're very successful at it because, again, the hotel continues to win awards on quality service. You're there almost five years, and then a change happens, and you end up in one of my favorite hotels, and you end up with the Faina Hotel in Miami Beach. And I believe you're part of the opening team. Is that, am I correct in saying that? That's right. I was part of the opening team. And so you went to another opening, and this one, one of the most ambitious and challenging in the country for listeners. If you haven't seen this hotel, just pause this. If you're driving, don't look while you're driving. Take a look at this hotel that Patrick helped create. But you make this move to be their quality and training director. Now, did they come after you or did you go after them? It was incredible timing, Steve. When I was working at the Satai at that time, the hotel had just changed hands and they were new owners. At the same time, Faina was creating a buzz. And I looked at Faina as an opportunity to write the playbook on a blank sheet of paper. There was no game plan. And those that were part of the opening team put that game plan together. And as the quality and training director, I understood the enormous significance of this role because all of the standard operating procedures, I was able to work with the operating team to come up with those. It was my responsibility to pick the brains of some of the brightest minds in hospitality that came to Faina to open that property, to make it a world-class destination. And I had to standardize all of their thoughts in an organized way that would make it stick with the team to deliver service at a level that was never seen before in Miami. That is true. It, and it is still one of the hotels that I walk into and I'm just like, wow, all the small details that people focus on is what I love. And you still see that happening. So you created an amazing foundation there. 
and your quality and training director, you do that for you know, a year and a half. And then you, this interesting transition happens where I have never seen this. And all the people I've interviewed across this podcast for almost two years, you go from being the quality and training director at this premier hotel to the hotel manager. And so for listeners, not in hotels, that's a unique jump. And I'm curious because I'm sure there's a lot of quality and training directors out there that I want to be the hotel manager. How did you make this happen? So how did you do that? I felt very fortunate when I was in the role of a quality and training director, the opening general manager and the second general manager after that realized my worth. The opening general manager, Dan Hirsch, I remember having a conversation with him and Dan said, I look at you as my mini hotel manager. And that made me feel so good. And I said, if my general manager looks at me as the mini hotel manager, I need to aspire to be in that role one day. So Dan left to other things and Nicole Sinclair came in as the general manager. And Nicole, when she opened the final, she was part of the opening team too, was in an HR role as the vice president of talent and culture. And I worked in Nicole's team. We had a great relationship. I learned a lot from Nicole. And when she became the GM, she said, hey, we have an opening year. I think you'd be great at it. What do you think? And I just melted. I remember my knees growing weak and falling down to the floor and saying, of course, absolutely. That's amazing. And so, you know, I just can just picture like the director of food and beverage or director of rooms be like, I wanted that position, right? And as you know, and for listeners out there, as you move up, it gets a little political as you get up the pyramid of the, you know, the, the executive team. So you get that role at this premier hotel, what was that like for you? Because that's really an uh, amazing accomplishment. It, it indeed was. Uh, Pina is such an incredible property. It's an independent hotel, and they don't follow what others are doing just because others are doing it. Pina is the trendsetter. They made the rules and others followed it. So I was very fortunate as the quality and training director to already have a seat on the executive committee. And when I transitioned into the role of the hotel manager, I just traded places on the table. I changed places on the table of the executive committee. But as a quality and training director, I had built these relationships. And again, being part of an opening team, the camaraderie, the relationships that you built. For me, the goal was while I build these relationships, I also want to build respect and I want to earn their respect. So I had a great amount of respect for everybody around the table at the executive committee. Actually, within a year of opening the Faena, we earned our five-star accolade. Yes. And a lot of the members of the executive committee and the leadership team looked at me and said, you trained us, you had something to do with it, so you must know what you're doing. And I think for that reason, it may have been an easier transition for me to go from a quality and training director to becoming the hotel manager. Yeah, and that's like unheard of that you got it within the first year of opening, right? And to train a team and to build that culture for, for anyone who hasn't earned five stars, you have to live it not just every day. It's every shift, every minute that you're serving somebody, it's got to be built in you. So you had a tremendous part of doing that. So it just shows the quality of what you were doing. So as hotel manager, you now have a little bit more say in how things go. How did you leave your imprint on the operation? 
I reflected on my time as being a general manager when I became the hotel manager. And I thought about my opportunity on how to lead a team and get better with my people skills. And that was my focus. I knew I could do something in rooms division. I could do something in food and beverage. I could assist with matters relating to sales and marketing. But it was my people skills that I really wanted to sharpen. And as a hotel manager and leaving my mark as a leader, that's where I wanted to make the mark. So I, I did a lot of research on what makes hotel managers and general managers great. And I came across training, of course, respect, of course, but emotional intelligence and how I would apply emotional intelligence in what I did, not only for myself, but for my team and how we could take that to our guest. And it worked. With emotional intelligence, I was able to further build respect with the team. We had such a great culture. Mm -hmm. The relentless pursuit for perfection continued and Faena was just booming. The awards and accolades kept coming in and we maintained five stars. We opened a theater, launched nightlife, had great restaurants, wonderful reviews from the guest. And it was like magic. It was a dream come true. Yeah, it still is. That place is very special still. You could walk in. Have you been back in a while? I know maybe you don't talk about the competition, but do you go back ever and see what's still going on there and say, hey, hello to Saeed, who has been on the podcast, or you haven't been back in a while? No, Saeed and I opened together. So Saeed is a great friend. Yeah. And just like Saeed, I have many other great friends. Alfredo, who's the hotel manager, was also part of the opening team. And, you know, Saeed... And I talk around uh, every now and then. Alfredo and I have, we had dinner actually last month at Faena. <laughs> uh, so I, I keep in touch with them. The team is wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Chef Cornell is one of my favorite guys. And we got to get you on the podcast, Chef Cornell. You've been dodging it for too long. So get him next. But you're doing a fantastic job there. Like you said, it is one of the trendsetters. When I was working at Nobu and at Lowe's, we would always look to what Faena was doing. Say, all right, how do we compete with what's going on here? But now you make a, a change and you make a change during a challenging month and year uh, in the world's history. So in March, 2020, you become the executive managing director and the role that you have now at the Carillon Miami wellness resort. How does that come along? Is that, I always love hearing this part. Do they come get you out of this amazing hotel you helped build or do you say, all right, I think I'm ready for my own show. Yes. Yeah, so I was at Faena. I remember this vividly. And we had a, a VIP guest checking into the hotel. I think I was running from one place to the other place. And my phone rang. It was a 212 number. So I said, this is somebody from New York, most likely the travel agent calling about the VIP. And I answered it. And the voice on the line said, we have an opportunity we'd like to talk to you about. And I said, now is not a good time. Yeah, I'm running around. So I put the phone down. But before I put the phone down, they said, can we follow up with you again? And they were persistent. And I'm glad that they were. They explained the role to me. They told me it was about wellness in a wellness destination, not too far from where I was. And at that time, after being in nightlife and in the five-star environment, I thought about wellness because there was a lot of buzz around wellness. I had been at a Forbes travel guide event in Las Vegas just before I received that phone call. 
And one of the central themes in that event in Las Vegas was around wellness and hospitality and how wellness tourism was about to take off. And I connected the dots and I said, maybe this is my next opportunity and I need to consider it. So I continued the conversation. I'm thankful that uh, there was persistence and eventually joined the Carillon as the executive managing director in March of 2020 when the whole world was experiencing COVID-19. Yeah, and so that's just a crazy time to start because I'm sure, and I haven't talked to you about this, you walk in and have to start prepping layoffs and furloughs and all these things. Is that what happens? So you walk in, hey, I'm here, and then two weeks later, everything starts to shut down? Well, I wish it was two weeks, Steve, but it was actually the first day. First day. The very first email I received in my brand new inbox was from Miami-Dade County instructing hotels to close. So what I thought was going to be a meet and greet with the staff, unfortunately turned out to be quite a drastic message where I had to not only introduce myself to the team, but also notify them that we were going to close down the hotel. And that was day two. I don't even know what to say. I'm at a loss for words. So your second day, you get there, you don't know everybody yet, but you have to deliver this message. How did you do it? I think it goes back to my time when I said how I wanted to make a mark as a hotel manager at Faena and use emotional intelligence as a tool for me. And I used emotional intelligence to deliver my message. It was a difficult message, as you can imagine. But I wanted the team to understand that while I was new, we would still look for ways to be supportive, to be a resource, and to offer assistance in any way that we possibly could because there was incredible amount of uncertainty. And I am so fortunate that this brand new team who I had never met before took the message and took it very well. They accepted me as the leader. They accepted the very difficult mes message that we had to close the hotel down and they showed understanding and quite incredibly turned what I thought was my support for them turned around and supported me as the newbie at the hotel. It's incredible. I love that. So you are stepped in, they've supported you. You've really set a good tone coming in on day two. Uh, you came back for day two, uh, which is pretty impressive. So when did you reopen? Because many people opened in June, but I kind of want to start like when you actually started getting going to actually do your job in an open hotel. When did that come back for you? So I started in March. We closed the hotel on day number two. We were able to reopen in July of 2020 for the 4th of July, if you recall. Yep. But as a wellness resort, it was never a race for us. We did not want to be the first to open. We did not want to have bragging rights that we had occupancy and nobody was traveling. Our goal as a wellness resort was to do it right. Again, there was a lot of uncertainty. There were new things that were being introduced in hospitality, new processes in hospitality, sanitization, disinfection. What was the difference between the two? 
Mm-hmm. UV lights, where do we get them from? How do we use them? When do we use them? All of this stuff was new. So it was important for us as a wellness resort to get it right and not try to be the first to win the race. While most of the hotels opened up in July, we took the summer and much of the fall to learn and understand how we could not only do it right, but how we could pivot. Because we did not know what the traveler was going to want when they came back into our hotels. And we did a lot of focus groups, a lot of studies, a lot of trend analysis and understanding of what that might be like. And what would a wellness traveler look for? And how we, as a wellness resort, would pivot to meet the growing needs of wellness tourism and what the wellness traveler was looking for. We opened it back up in November, right before Thanksgiving. And if there was anything I had learned from my previous experience at Faena, is that we would do things on our terms. We didn't rush to fill the hotel. We wanted to make sure our team was taken care of. Our team was not overworked. Our team was given the right resources and equipment to do their jobs, that they felt safe doing their jobs. And because of that, we experienced success. So we took our time to open and it paid off. We had pivoted by introducing new services as they relate to wellness that the world had never seen before. We introduced technology. We coined a new concept called touchless wellness technology, introduced that at Carillon and became the trendsetters and the leaders of wellness tourism. And for all I know, the wellness tourism leaders, not only in Florida, but in the United States and quite possibly in the world. Yes. And for listeners that just listen to this, again, you need to take a look at what Patrick is doing at their hotel and their website is a phenomenal resource to see everything there. And you can also check it out on the hospitalitymentor.com where I just happened to experience this touchless wellness service. I told Patrick I'd be hard on him if I didn't like it, but I loved it. And so I had never experienced anything like that. And I slept better. I felt better. I need to figure out a way to come more often uh, to Patrick's uh, wellness resort. So Patrick, you're there. You're really building and reshaping this vision for the property because you know, it was a nice property before you got there, but I can see that you're putting your touch on it and really focusing on the wellness and making that the niche. But you also have brought in an amazing team and you have a Michelin star restaurant now at your hotel. Everyone is friendly every time I walk in. How are you doing that at a hotel that was nice before you got there, but now is considered one of the best in, in the city or if not at the state, like you said, or the country? Well, fortunately for me, Steve, I realized that it was all in the team. I don't do any of it. The team gets it done. And if my focus was going to be on the team, I knew we would be faced with success. And as you said, we achieved a Michelin star rating at the Tambourine Room by Tristan Brandt. We did it in incredible amount of time. We launched the Tambourine in December and got the Michelin star in May of 2023. So six months, yes. Incredibly proud and a wonderful achievement. So what do you think of the, I want to sidetrack here for a second. We'll get back on your story, but it just came out today 
that Michelin Guide is now going to be giving out keys to hotels. Is that something? Well, I'm curious to think what you think about that because Forbes has always been like the standard and Michelin star for restaurants. What do you think of this Michelin Keys as they announce it today? You know, I think it's it's creating a buzz. It's creating a buzz, and I think we're all wanting to know more. It's like almost saying, hey, Michelin, give us the details. We'd love to know what the inside scoop is and how we can do it because awards and accolades are what we live for and die for. Yeah. Uh, if you have it, we want it, and we mm-hmm. want to understand how you will give it to us. So I think uh, the next few days, weeks, months, all hotels will be looking for how they can get their hands on information so they can get those keys and then put them up with pride and say, we got it. Well, if anyone can figure it out, I'm sure in the entire country, you're one of these people because you've done it nonstop everywhere you've been. So back onto your journey here. You're in the Carillon, you're doing fantastic, but you also have a, a newer title. Not that you almost a year and change now, but as CEO of Alchemy Wellness Resorts, tell us about that. I don't know much about it at all. Yes, yeah, so you know the the pandemic took a toll on the entire planet. Travelers were looking for wellness, and wellness in their vacation just added another layer of value that the traveler was looking for. It wasn't only the travelers that were looking for it, however. It was also developers of other hotels that were looking to introduce wellness into their guest experience. Mm -hmm. And because of the attention that we were getting with what we were doing at Carillon around wellness, we had hotel guests staying with us looking for that. But we also had hotel developers and real estate developers coming to us and saying, hey, what do you do for wellness? We'd like to understand it better. And after it happened a couple of times... I looked at some of the members of my team. I looked at Tammy Pale, who's our vice president of health and wellness. I looked at Roxana Medina, who's our vice president of brand and marketing. And I said, maybe we are sitting on an opportunity here to do more with wellness than we possibly thought we could at Carillon. We got some support from our ownership group and launched a wellness consulting and management company. And that's how Alchemy Wellness Resorts was born. And Amazing. today at Alchemy Wellness Resorts, I, as you said, Steve, I'm the chief executive officer. And we consult with hotel developers and real estate developers who want to bring the idea of wellness into their guest experience at their respective resorts, whether opened or soon to be opened. That's amazing. I'm so excited to hear that because what you all have created at the Carillon, so many hotels and so many resorts would benefit from. So if you're listening and you're building something, you've got the guy here now. Patrick is is the main man who can not only tell you about the wellness, but how to train people up to execute at a high level. So I'm excited for you. I think that might be something we talk about 10 years from now as being very big. For sure. Thank you, Steve. Well, we've talked about your journey here and you've had a tremendous one. I love seeing the mix of places you've been and just a unique journey you've had through really caring and training and honing your craft. But if you were to give young Patrick, he walks into your office today as that front desk agent, what advice do you give Patrick today if he was starting? I would say try to become a more well-rounded hotelier. It's important that you learn the craft and the skills from a technical perspective, but understand that your greatest asset is always going to be your people. It's always going to be your team. And if you can get your team right, you will be successful. I started that a little bit late in my career, 
and I wish I would have started earlier. But that's what I would have told younger Patrick today. I think that's a great piece of advice to end our conversation on today, Patrick. I know how busy you are. I'm very grateful you spent this almost hour with us and all the listeners. We appreciate it. It's been my pleasure, Steve. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.